He is the Apostle of Grace. More than any other writer in the New Testament, he declares that we stand right before God in the end by depending only on Christ. Many accuse Paul of shattering the tablets of Moses and throwing open the doors to irresponsible behavior. With our study leader, Dave Wurtson, we want to let Paul respond to this charge as he exposes to us the relationship between Christ's love and God's commandments. Once was a thought inside my head Before I reached 30 I'd be dead Somehow on and on I go I keep on rolling with the flow Folks said that I would change my mind I'd straighten up and do just fine Oh, but I still love rock and roll I keep on rolling with the flow Wild guys my age are raising kids I'm raising hell just like I did I've got a lot of crazy friends And they forgive me of my sins Some might be calling me a bum But I'm still out here having fun Jesus loves me, yes I know So I keep on rolling with the flow Wild guys my age are raising kids I'm raising hell just like I did I've got a lot of crazy friends and they forgive me of my sins I can't take it with you when you go But I want enough to get there on I ain't ever growing old If I keep on rolling with the flow No, I ain't ever growing old Keep on rolling with the flow. Keep on rolling with the flow. I like a guy like that. He's kind of like Peter Pan in Justin's. He's still boot scooting, he's still out there boozing, and he's still out there having fun. Look at the words. It says, once with a thought inside my head, I'd, before I reach 30, I'd be dead. Somehow, on and on I go, I keep on rolling with the flow. Some folks said, probably his mom and dad, said I changed my mind. I'd straighten out and do just fine. Oh, but I'd still love rock and roll. And by the way, Mick Jagger's pushing 65. And so he's still rolling with the flow. The issue that's raised on my mind, notice I want you to see that he says, Jesus loves me, this I know. And he says he has a lot of crazy friends, and they forgive him of his sins. 
So the basic thrust of what Mark Chestnut is telling us is that he raises hell on Saturday night, but he goes to church on Sunday morning. And he was raised as a little boy, and it's pretty hard to be over in Nashville very long without learning, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So the basic idea of rolling with the flow is, I know that in the end, that Jesus loves me, this I know. And notice a really key phrase of this song that we just heard that Corby sang for us. You can't take it with you when you're gone. Now, that would be a great, you know, the idea is how many know that you can't take your material possessions with you when you're gone? So that's a true statement. But notice the next thing he says, but I want enough to get there on. So what does he mean by that? I want enough to get there on. What he means is I hope that I'm rolling with the flow, and as I'm out there raising, you know, cane and a lot of other stuff, I pray that I'm going to do enough good things that when I do grow old, notice he, he thinks he's going to be Peter Pan, but underlying these words, Mark Chestnut's telling you, I know that there's going to be an end. In fact, he really thinks the end could be soon. Notice he started out this song saying, I don't think I'll make it till 30 but amazingly, I'm still rolling with the flow. What I want to understand is that I understand how an ad, my brother Don worked for many years in Nashville and, you know, a lot of these uh, guys that he knew and worked with the rhythm and percussion sections and all that, a lot of them believe this. The idea is, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, somehow he's going to make everything work out. And the basic idea is that Jesus forgives me and he'll keep forgiving me, but I keep rolling with the flow. So I asked some really key questions. How much... How much do you need to get there on? How would the book of Romans tell you, and I'll let you raise your hand, what does the book of Romans tell us about how much we need to get there on? What do you think? Somebody raise your hand. What does Romans tell us we need to get there on? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Yes, in the back. God's grace. How much is that? Okay, nothing we can do. So one of the major things the book of Romans is telling us is that it's not a question of how many good things we do in order to get there in the end, but how much did it cost? Who, who paid the bill for us? What did he do for us? He died and rose again. Is that a pretty big payment? Yes, it is. Okay. So the book of Romans is telling us, if I were to ask you, I want, no, I'm going to ask you this question. How does Paul tell us in the book of Romans... How, if Mark Chestnut was here, and he says, I hope in the end that I would have done enough to get there on, and he said, what do you think? How do you stand right before God in the end? What are you going to tell him? Somebody raise your hand and tell me. What are you going to tell Mark Chestnut? What's it going to take for him to get there on? Yes, mom, stand up and tell us real loud, and I'll repeat so they can hear you. What are you going to tell Mark Chestnut? How much does he need to get there on, and, and uh, how can he be sure in the end he's going to be okay? Well, all you have to do is believe on Jesus. Okay. He died and rose again, and that he paid the price for our sins. Everybody hear that? How many think that'll work? Amen? That'll work. That'll work, okay? So the Apostle Paul's been telling us that it's free, that you've got to receive Jesus. You don't work, but then you trust in the cross of Christ you trust in his resurrection, and Jesus comes to live in your life. Now, here's the catch. We've gotten across that message pretty well to some degree. But the basic idea that I come to Jesus and everything's taken care of, 
and therefore now I can go out there and keep raising hell and everything will be fine. What do you think about that? Well, that's what we want to talk about. What's the relationship between the gospel of grace and the law of God? You see, one of the big issues the Apostle Paul is dealing with in the passage today is what about the relationship between this amazing grace and the law of God? He's asking, what difference should the cross and the resurrection of Jesus make in your life? Mark Chestnut is expressing what tons of people throughout our area, a lot of your friends believe, is that I believe in Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know. But it doesn't make any concrete change in your life. And I want to assure that the book of Romans doesn't give that kind of individual that's rolling with the flow much comfort. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us today that one of the things that we need to do is that we have an unpayable debt. Last time we were together, we talked about the debt that we have to our governmental officials. In other words, we have an obligation, just as certainly as we pay taxes, which we were told to do, just as certainly as we have to pay speeding tickets if we break the law, that we need to fulfill our obligations. We have a debt. When you see a policeman at Carolyn's Cafe or wherever you see a policeman, you have a debt to pay to them, to pray for their safety, to pray that the Lord will give them justice in their life and that they'll have a great sense of fairness as they deal with people, that they'll be able to keep their cool as they deal with people that are often really angry. As a church family, we learned last week that we have an obligation obligation to pay to those that are ruling over us. I'm going to talk to you this morning about another obligation we have, and it is a debt that you'll never pay. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. What I want you to understand is that the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13 that we have not only a debt to our governmental officials, but look at verse 8. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Notice we're talking today about Paul is speaking to us about the relationship between grace and law. The commandments, now we get really concrete. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And what other commandment there may be, they're all summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Notice he begins with love. Let no debt remain outstanding except your commitment to love your fellow man based upon the love of Christ. And then he ends with love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore, which is the negative statement of do unto others as you would have them do unto, uh, do unto you. Don't do unto others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. That would be what he's stressing. Then he says, therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. So this whole little section is focusing our attention on something that Paul's been working on for a long time. And that is, what is the relationship that this new covenant Someone that's come to know Jesus, someone that's trusting in the cross like we just learned about, someone that's trusting in the resurrection, what does that mean when it comes to ethical living in their everyday life? And the Jewish person, when they heard Paul speak, would cry out, people are going to go crazy. People are going to disobey. 
It's what we call libertinism, and that is that, that we're not under the law. It's kind of like a, the, the 60s on steroids. In other words, there isn't any law. Let's make love, not war. Let's jettison all the, the ethical responsibilities we have, and everything will be fine. You know, how did the Apostle Paul respond to that? He said, no. If you've come to know Christ, you're under an unpayable debt. Now, I was taught as a kid, in fact, we used to sing songs that went kind of like this. The idea is, Jesus paid it all for me. What can I do for him? How many of you ever heard songs like that? And you all sit there and think about, Jesus did so much for me. In other words, there came a point in my life when I received Jesus, and now I have to spend my life paying back to him what I owe him. What I want to share with you, that is dead wrong. Just stop and think about it. How much did it cost the Son of God on the cross at Calvary to save you? Okay. And it's totally by grace. Now, if I tell you that I'm going to give you a Christmas gift at Christmas, and so I give all my kids marvelous Christmas gifts, and then Christmas evening after our meal i say now here is your payment schedule for the next 12 months is that a christmas gift how many of you ever received christmas gifts like that that's not a gift jesus doesn't save you freely and then ask you to spend your life paying back in fact that's what's wrong with some of you you are constantly trying to pay what you think you owe the living God, and you'll never make it. So Paul is not saying that, that the debt that we have is to Jesus. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. By the way, the apostle Paul is not saying there that you should never borrow money at all. That's a loaded issue, but a lot of believers these days are being taught that you should never borrow money at all. And what I want you to know that the Old Testament law, for example, says that if someone comes to you and they want to borrow money, that you're to lend to them freely. So if we're never to be in debt to anybody, what about that command? And the Apostle Paul, it's why it's important to go in this section. In the previous section, what did the Apostle Paul say? He said, you have a debt you have an obligation to the governmental authorities. How many of you owe some taxes right now? I do. Got a little bit more. Anybody? If this verse is teaching that you should never owe man anything, and I want you to see how there are interpretations, there are groups that don't pay their taxes because they read a verse like this and they don't understand the thought. In the flow of this text, the Apostle Paul could not be saying don't ever borrow money. Now, I, there's another message on, on getting in over your head about using credit unjustly, and you've heard me teach on that, so don't you go out and use your credit card this week. But I also want you to know, for example, how many of you have mortgages on your house? Are you sinning? Some of you don't have mortgages on your house. You decided you would pay it off as you go. That's okay. And we're going to be talking through the rest of the book of Romans how we're going to have different viewpoints on this. 
But I also want you to understand, loving your neighbors, you love yourself. You know what? If all the born-again believers in our society in America today decided that they would not borrow any more money, would that be good for the economy or bad for the economy? Do you realize the damage you would do to your neighbors? You understand what I'm saying? Often believers are naive about these things. Economics is a very complex issue. So be really careful. This verse cannot possibly be saying that you don't ever borrow money. Or if you're a businessman that goes around and gets some of your friends to help invest in your company and you become an entrepreneur, that somehow that as they loan you money that you've sinned. That's not what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. He just used an example. You're going to have a debt of taxes. You're going to have that till the day you die, but sure you don't let that debt be outstanding. So pay your taxes, amen? I don't get a very good amen on that, okay? Now I'm talking about a much far serious debt, and it is the debt of love to others, to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then to the broader society. The Apostle Paul is telling us that there's a debt that will never, never pay out. Your debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another because he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. What I want all of you to understand, when you came to Christ, Jesus perfectly lived out what it means to give your life in order to meet the needs of other people. How many of you would agree with that statement? Jesus perfectly illustrates how to live your life and give it to meet the needs of others. You all agree with that? Okay. You can never do that in your old nature, and I can't either. But I want you to know that when you receive Jesus, the book of Romans is telling us that Jesus came to live inside of you. And that spirit of Jesus, as you submit to him, as you present your life as a living sacrifice, You have the living person of Jesus living through your personality, living through your gifts, through your daily circumstances. You can do it through his power. Amen? And I want to understand that you'll never pay off that debt because God is love. When you get to heaven, you'll still be loving your fellow believers. Some of you will be, that will be a big jump because you have a hard time loving your fellow believers now. But when you get to heaven, for all of eternity, you will be loving your brothers and sisters. Amen? So let's start practicing now. You'll never pay off that debt. It's a marvelous. Aren't you glad that we're not going to ever pay that debt? How many of you are glad that that the living triune God is never going to say, well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have have paid off their their debt of love. They're not going to love each other anymore. Aren't you so glad That there's never going to be in all of eternity, there'll never be an absence of love. That eternity will be about every little speck of love. The feeling like when a little puppy is injured and your little child wants to take that little puppy and take it to CT and have the puppy cared for and then brings it home. What makes the little child care about that little puppy? Often much to their mom and dad's consternation. But don't curse that. Probably that's the next veterinarian that'll take CT's place. Where did that little child's love for that puppy come from? From God. Because he's love. And he tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that righteous people care for their, even their animals. 
And wicked people don't care for their animals. And on and on and on it can go. The motorcycle, the, the griffins, every Christmas run a motorcycle run, and they collect money and toys. A lot of them don't even know Jesus. Some of them do, but some of them don't. Where did their desire to help little children at Christmas time come from? Everybody tell me, from? And specifically, Jesus. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Anywhere you see love in the world, it's your Savior. Because that's Him. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when He works in your life, you become a lover. Now, we in American society, that's, so that's an unpayable debt. You got it? We'll never pay off that debt. So this week, I need to pay my taxes, but I also need to keep loving you. And you need to keep loving me. Then we also need to love the people that God puts in our path. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to talk to you about a next very important thing. Love is more than a feeling. For a lot of you, love is a feeling. And this is why it's so important that we don't divorce. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. In our society, we divorce God's love from his law. Did you hear what I just said? A lot of you divorce, and I do it too. It's part of the atmosphere of our culture. We divorce God's love from his law. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. Notice he says this. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except your debt to love one another. He who loves his fellow man fulfill the law. Then he says this. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and what other, whatever other commandment there may be, they're summed up in this one rule. What does Paul do? Where have you heard those phrases? Anybody tell me where you heard those phrases? They are the what? The Ten Commandments. And this is very important. As a child of God, the Apostle Paul is telling us when you have Jesus come to live in your life, You'll never get to heaven by seeking to obey those Ten Commandments. Outside of Christ, we've learned in the book of Romans that God gave us the external standard because it exposes that we're sinful people. So outside of Christ, we lust after women that don't belong to us. If I were to ask you men, how many of you men had ever lusted after a woman in your heart? If your heart's still beating, there's a really good chance that you've done that. Your Savior says, your Savior says that if you would, if you could, you're an adulterer. The next thing says, don't murder. You say, well, Dave, I haven't done that one. How many of you have gotten really mad and you've called somebody, you're just a big idiot? Anybody ever done that? All of you have ever gotten really mad and said, you're such a fool, you're such an idiot, raise your hand. Confession's good for the soul. Jesus says that we're, we're a murderer because that's where murder comes from. All of us in this room that are wrestling with anger, that we explode 
we get so angry that we got to leave because we're going to hurt somebody. That's the spring, a dirty, violent, ravenous, you know, rapid-filled stream that produces murder and produces war and causes a lot of innocent people to be hurt. So we're murderers. He says, don't steal. Say, man, I don't do that. But let's suppose that we're supposed to be putting in the time clock. How long is our lunch break? What about our taxes? We've talked about all those convicting things. Shoplifting. They'll never know. Or if you're living in your mom and dad's house, we'll get really, really convicting. If you're living in your mom and dad's house and you're not five years old anymore, you're 45. Your mom and dad, unless you have grave disabilities, shouldn't be paying your bills. Because it says, let a man leave his father and your mother. And if you're single, you're not going to cling to your wife, but you need to leave your mom and dad. So if you watch their big TV, you eat all their meals, and you sleep in nice, clean sheets, you add up what it costs to, to go to a hotel. That's how much you're stealing from your parents. Now, all of us have extenuating circumstances, but, but I want you to know, those of you that are adults and some of you that have adults like that, they're mad at you, but they use you, and you go back and forth. That's stealing, and that's why you're, there's so much anger, because it's not ethical. It's totally right for mom and dad to give free gifts to their kids. It's totally wrong if the kids expect it. And it goes on forever and ever. That's stealing. And you'll never be a man or a woman. You'll never be a full-fledged adult till you pay the bills. And the early Israelites were taught this in their law. Get down to that kind of nitty-gritty. Get down to that kind of nitty-gritty stuff. So the next final thing is the hard one, thou shalt not covet. That is, I shall not desire a thing that don't belong to me. That's a tough one. Because that just arises into my heart. Now the Apostle Paul is saying, earlier in the book of Romans that the purpose of the law is it's like an MRI. So if I look at this MRI, the doctor comes in and he says, David, we've noticed that there were adulterous thoughts in your life. There are covetous thoughts in your life. Don't covet your neighbor's car. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house. In my own life, where coveting comes in, I can covet what another pastor has. That's an area that you can pray for me. Like it'll rise up in me that I go somewhere and I hear someone else speak and they share with me about how the Lord is using them. And I'm jealous. A very powerful feeling inside of me. And that's covetous because the Lord has given me Dave Wurtzen's gifts and he's called me to do what he wants Dave Wurtzen and Mary Wurtzen to do. And I look at what someone else is doing and say, well, man, I want to do that, Lord. Anybody ever done that? And then, you know, I do a really dirty thing is I cut them down. That's breaking the law. Peter did it at the end of Jesus' ministry when he was walking with Peter and John. And the Lord says, you know, that this man here is going to do so-and-so and so-and-so. 
And he said to Peter, when you get old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch out your arms. And Peter said, well, what about John? What did Jesus tell Peter? Mind your own business. He said, it's up to me. And by the way, John lived to be in his 90s, kind of a rough life. He was, he was exiled on Patmos, and, but he wrote that marvelous book of Revelation. But Peter got crucified upside down. But John lived his life into his 90s, probably. So the Lord says, it's up to me to decide, and it's not up to Dave Wurtson to desire what someone else has had. How many of you wrestle just settling where the Lord places you? And that you have great jealousy because maybe somebody at work gets the position that you deserved and you were rooked. Anybody angry about any of that today? That's coveting. That's coveting. Now, what Paul is saying is when we come to Jesus, that we are able to use the law to diagnose our sin. It's like an MRI. Like I've taught you all through this book, it's like an MRI that exposes our cancer, and the MRI doesn't heal us. The law doesn't heal us. Jesus healed us through the power of his radiating love, shed his blood on Calvary, and then risen from the dead. The resurrection is this incredible power that the moment that you completely trusted in Jesus, Jesus came to live inside of you. Now what happens? What the Apostle Paul is saying is, that on the other side of conversion, now Jesus gives me power in my daily life to not give in to adulterous temptations, to not give in to murderous anger, to not give in to this green jealousy. And that's really important. Are you clear on that? If you're a believer that's just rolling with the flow, You need to ask yourself, have I really had Jesus come to live inside of me? What the Apostle Paul is saying, if you've committed adultery, if you've committed adultery, does that mean that you've committed the unpardonable sin? No. But if you come to the place in your life when you realize that Jesus had to take an eternal death row, he poured out his infinite divine person on the cross of Calvary so that your sins could be forgiven. You can't be saying to your friends, I'm just rolling with the flow. And we loved each other. And we were just so, it was just, it, the other relationship so stunk so much. And I know some, I want, I want to share with you, throughout our church family, that's normal for people in our society to roll with the flow. I want to share with you, that's like, you say, well, I had an MRI and I took radiation And the radiation healed me. But now I just go back and do all the things that gave me cancer. Aren't I free? I dealt with a prostitute, Gail, many years ago. And she had an aortic valve that a very serious infection attacked her aortic valve. And the doctor at Parkland went in and fixed her aortic valve. She was healed. And he told her, he said, now, Gail, as you walk out of here, If you go back and you keep prostituting and you keep taking those drugs, you're going to get that infection again. And the next time that it attacks the tissue around the the valve that I put in there, I can't put another valve in there. You'll be dead. And Gail went out. And she did it. 
And she got infected, and I did her funeral. You see, God's law is not a bad thing. And so I want to show you, say, well, Dave, what do we need to do? If you've committed adultery, then I would challenge you this morning. You need to say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need to put it under the blood of Calvary. I admit that it was wrong, that it wasn't love. You see, there's a, there's a love-law connection. You live in a society based upon the 60s. How many of you have ever heard of a book called Situational Ethics? Anybody ever heard of that book? Those of you younger have never heard of it. Joseph Fletcher was a theologian that wrote that book. Here's the basic idea. If you love somebody, that's the ultimate morality. And that trumps the specific law of God. The ultimate story was, you're an Auschwitz, and you're a woman. And the guard says to you, if you'll have a relationship with me sexually then I will make sure you live and you'll be able to go back to your family. And so it's loving in the name of Jesus, in the name of love, because love is the ultimate ethic. It's loving and holy for that wife to go with the guard, have sex, she gets delivered from the prison, her family applauds, what an incredible adultery. And we all live happily ever after. You believe that. A lot of you believe that. You just divorce God's love from his law. Joseph Fletcher did that. I had a professor at seminary that taught kind of like that. And as the years rolled by, he divorced his wife, committed immorality. Because the Lord doesn't want you to buy those things. What about the guard's family? What about potential disease that the woman could get for that, that she infects with her husband? What about the fact that the way life really works is a good chance that the guard, after you have sex with him, will do what? Will kill you anyway. That's the way life really works. So I want all of you to think really, really hard because you're full of it. And our society, especially in the sexual area, divorces God's love from his law. And you roll with the flow. And what I'm calling it to, if you really know Jesus, then you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. And what I will share with you is that you're in a church family that's full of adulterers, that's full of thieves, that's full of drunkards, that's full of drug people that have been hooked on drugs, you're filled definitely with a bunch of gossipers, a bunch of slanderers. You just got a bunch of criminals around you without Jesus. But with Jesus, we are new people. And the Apostle Paul is telling us in this text, don't divorce his law from his love. So what Jesus does, you say, well, Dave, what do I need to do? It means, thirdly, that we respond. Notice he doesn't end with the law. He ends again with the parable love of Christ. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You all know deep in your heart 
that you don't, you shouldn't theologize around this. This is what's really important. You say, well, Dave, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor, and this text specifically says this, love the neighbor, and it uses an article. And what it means, you just see, it's really the, they say, well, what can I do about the people in defer? Now, we should meet the needs of the people in defer. But you know the needs of the people you really need to meet? Tomorrow morning, there's a single mom out in Buffalo Hills that has about four or five kids. She needs a skirt put around her trailer. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a trailer with it this cold without a skirt around it? She's a neighbor. We have many more, but she's a neighbor that presented herself to us. The priest just walks by. The Levite just walks by. The Samaritan stops. Now, let me make it really concrete. If you were walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and you got beat up by a bunch of thugs, you're lying on the side of the road with cuts all over you, you're bleeding to death. If you were that person, what would you want someone traveling by to do? You'd want them to go to their next appointment, wouldn't you? And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Your neighbor is the person that in the flow of life presents himself to you. That happens to us every week and probably every day. There's people presented to you, and what theorists do is get all caught up in, well, I can't meet everybody's needs. The Lord's not asking you to meet everybody's needs because he's a great, infinite God, but he is asking you to meet this Awana kid's needs, this child that comes to our Sunday school with that mom and dad don't come, the people in your neighborhood, like Lane Mershimer and Deborah on Tuesday were able to have a, a neighborhood, kind of like an old-fashioned good news club, only we're going to give it a fancy new name, and a bunch of kids came. This is what Jesus calls to do. He says, we'll never pay off that debt of love, but it's not a burden. It's the joy of expressing the resurrected life of Jesus in our heart. Second of all, love is more than a feeling. God's concrete, objective, revealed moral law helps us to not have sentiment, but to have real self-sacrificial love that has strength. And finally, the purpose of the law is fulfilled in us. It's fulfilled in us, not because we're obeying tablets of stone, but because the living life of Jesus has come to live inside of us. And that's why you don't need the tablets of stone anymore. Because when Jesus, your precious Savior, says, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't envy, there's a part of every one of you that says, Jesus, here I am, a living sacrifice. I join you in the cross and I die to myself so that I can live in your resurrection power. We follow the way of the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our discussion of Romans chapter 13 about how loving our neighbor as we love ourselves does summarize all the specific instructions that you gave us about what we need to do sexually, what we need to do with our material possessions, what we need to do with our desires. And Lord, you, you know, Paul added just all the law that's been given. I pray that you would help us to realize that the Spirit of God wants to teach us about how the life of Jesus enables us to live right. 
Lord, I thank you that it wasn't just a magic trick when Jesus saved us, but it was truly a life transformation. I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would help all of us to be dead on our knees before this precious cross of Jesus. I pray for brothers and sisters this morning that have been convicted by your spirit about where they have broken your law. Help them not to be discouraged. Help them not to run away because they feel you're going to quit on them. But I pray, Lord, that they'll come back to that cross. Relish the forgiveness that you want to give them. And then I pray that they will be able to leave and teach about purity and teach about not stealing and teach about not having desires for things that we can all keep working on fulfilling the responsibilities that we have together to one another. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, I pray that through the power of Jesus, that the law of love, this incredible royal law, would begin to be filled even more in my own life and the lives of my brothers and sisters.